0: The Word of God continually calls us to seek His wisdom. The book of Proverbs calls the people of God to live wisely in the world. The book of James is also filled with so much wisdom. In James chapter 3, for example, describes the perfect wisdom from above, which is wisdom that comes from God Himself because God is the fountain. He's the source of wisdom. Romans 11, verse 33 says, "O oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God and how unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. So our God is wise and He is glorious and at His essence, the glory of God is manifested in and through his endless wisdom. Let's read about that in Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians 3, verses 7 through 13. And let's read about our God of all wisdom. Ephesians 3, verse 7. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal. Purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Amen. If you pick up any history book, what you're going to find is the history of humanity and you'll see many lists of different kings and presidents and nations and wars and peace treaties and struggles to gain more territory or land or struggles to get more power. And so this really is the history of humanity. If you pick up any history book, that's what you're going to find. And when you read history and you see all of this, it can make us feel like Human history is pretty chaotic, that it's nothing but just a whole bunch of random events of one nation rises, and then another nation falls, and then another one rises, and another one falls, and territories change, and borders move, and you think, man, like, what's the point? It's just a whole bunch of just random chaos. And yet, the Bible tells us that human history is not random, and it's not chaotic. It's not. The world is not spiraling out of control. Our God of wisdom is actively moving, just that. God is moving history to its appointed end with a specific purpose. God has a plan. We just read in verse 9, That it says that this God who is all-wise, who is the creator, has revealed his plan, it says. This plan that was hidden, that now has been revealed. And so God is working out every detail in every human life that has ever existed or ever will exist. Every detail in every life, he is working it out to accomplish his purpose. Nothing is random. Nothing is by accident. It is all according to plan. Ephesians 3, verse 10 to 11, we just read it, but this is the key of this paragraph. Let's read it again. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So God's eternal purpose is focused on displaying the glory of Jesus. That's the point of human history. That is the appointed purpose to display the glory of Jesus, our resurrected King, who will one day rule over a resurrected people On a resurrected earth. And what we see here right now, when you look around the room, is you see these resurrected people right here, right now, sitting in these chairs. You see people that have been resurrected by the Spirit of God, who are spiritually alive and know God and have His presence. And we are a royal priesthood. We are His holy nation, and we are individual stones that make up the living temple. So God's spirit lives with his people within them. And so what we see in this room right now are people that were dead spiritually, that have been resurrected, and who have the spirit of God. And we await that day when Christ will return, and we will be physically resurrected for eternity. And so God's purposes to display his glory are centered upon, focused upon the church. So we exist to know Jesus. We exist to find our worth in him, to bow down to him with joy and willingly, joyfully adoring him. This is only possible for us. We can only accomplish this purpose when we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so we have been considering the last few weeks what it means to see God, to see what He is really like, because when we see Him, when we see His glory as He really is with the eyes of our heart, these eyes of faith, what happens then is our lives, our heart is changed, and we experience the healing and sustaining, satisfying, liberating presence of God. And so this morning, we're considering seeing the wisdom of God. And we have three questions we're going to ask from this text about the wisdom of God. Number one, the first question is, what is the wisdom of God? That's where we should begin. If this text in verse 10 says that God displays His glorious manifold wisdom through the church, We just ask, well, what is the wisdom of God? Well, the word manifold, it's not a very common word that we use today, but but the word manifold means varied or various. So manifold has a sense of being multi-sided or even multi-colored. And so the glory of God is manifold. And so God has infinite perfections. But God's infinite perfections have many sides, kind of like a prism or a beautiful diamond that is just shining just brilliantly from every side, displaying every color of the rainbow. And so the wisdom of God is multicolored, multifaceted glory, which is why if you go to Revelation chapter 4 verse 3. When, when the Apostle John has this vision of the throne room and he's seeing God and he sees the glory of God just emanating and radiating from the throne of God, he's trying to use human language to capture the indescribable glory that he is seeing. And John says, it's like a rainbow. And so he calls it a rainbow. Like, was it a literal rainbow? I don't know. I wasn't there. We will see one day when we're there ourselves. But what you're seeing here is like this multicolored glory is just radiating from God. He is so glorious and human language, can't even express it. But rainbow is the best that we've got. A prism displaying this. And so our God is just so majestic and glorious and beyond our comprehension And so the best that we can say is it's manifold, it's multicolored, and it's awe-inspiring. And this is the glory of God. And so he is wise, and his wisdom is one of the sides of his glory, one of his attributes, one of his characteristics. God is wise. Now, wisdom, let's think for a second about wisdom, what it actually is, Wisdom is more than intelligence or knowledge. So just because you have a body of knowledge about something or just because you're smart doesn't mean you have wisdom. Wisdom refers to the way that a person, hear me, wisdom refers to the way a person uses their knowledge and their experience to make decisions. It's how you use what you know. So a wise person They can see the big picture. So they they can see it clearly. And then because they can see it and they draw from what they know and they see this so clearly, that leads them to then make a choice that leads to being the right result. And so sometimes dictionaries refer to wisdom as having good judgment. And so knowing how to bring about the right result result. Now, this is not hard for us to know, especially if you're a parent, okay? If you're a parent, you can watch your children, and you see them doing dumb things. I'm sorry, kids. I'm, I'm being honest. As parents, we see you sometimes, and we just put our hands on our faces, and we think, oh, my child. Oh, my goodness. That is dumb. That is so unwise and it's going to end so bad for you, guess how I know? I've done it. I've been there. I have the experience. I have the knowledge. I've lived longer than you. I might not be smarter than you because it is possible, parents, that your child is actually more intelligent than you. It's quite possible that they have more just raw, God-given intellect. That is entirely possible. But that doesn't mean that they have more wisdom than you. They don't know how to apply it yet. It just takes life experience. And so children in the room, obey your parents, for this is right in the Lord. Obey your parents. They know more than you do. They have greater wisdom. They can see what you're doing, whether it's my two-year-old yesterday jumping over their cribs into each other's crib and having a ball doing flips. And I walk in, and I'm thinking, oh, this is not wise. And then, of course, Nathaniel jumps over, and he falls on his head, and he's like, oh, daddy, hurts, hurt. I'm like, oh, really? I never would have guessed you were going to hurt yourself. But he didn't see it. Just like, that teenager making a decision, and the mom knows. And she says, sweetheart, I see the big picture You see, when you're wise, you can see the big picture. At His essence, God is wise. He always sees the big picture. Nothing escapes God. God can't learn anything new, you can't teach Him anything. God can't be surprised. It's not possible that he's surprised. God can't get frustrated. It's impossible. He can't do it. He's all-knowing. He's all-wise. I want you to picture, so in your mind, I want you to picture a really big lake. So a vast lake. And picture a really still lake. And then I want you to picture dropping one little pebble in the middle of that lake. I want you to picture the plunk and the ripples. Now picture you dropping a second pebble, second plunk and more ripples. Now I want you to picture having hundreds of pebbles being dropped all at once. Now thousands. Now picture millions. Picture billions of pebbles raining down all around this vast lake all at once. Now, I want you to think about what it would be like for someone. Imagine someone being able to keep track of every single pebble. Where it landed, where it was shifted, how one pebble hit another pebble, how it caused another pebble to move. And under this barrage of movements where all the pebbles ended up. And how each ripple affected the next ripple, affected the next pebble. I want you to think of all of that. And I want you to think about what it would be possible to keep track of every single pebble, to know it by name, to know where it went, how it affected the other pebbles, and how each ripple has come about by which pebble. Impossible, right? This pebble... These pebbles are a human life, and this lake is human history. And so God knows every detail of every life and how every single one has impacted the rest of human history. And he knows this. He keeps track of all of it. And for him, it's just as easy as it is for you to add one plus one. As hard as it is for you to do that, it's just as hard as it is for God to keep track of every single detail in his creation. Because he is infinitely wise. He is the God of all knowing and all understanding. And nothing is too hard for him. He always sees the big picture and how your life impacts another life and another life and another life and how the ripples all come together. He has this cosmic puzzle, and your life is one piece of that puzzle. He always sees the big picture, and all you see is that one little puzzle piece. Verse 11 says that our God is working our lives out in history. It says... According to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He's working it out according to his purposes to display the glory of Jesus. So what is the wisdom of God? If you want a simple working definition, I thought about this long and hard to try to keep it one somewhat simple sentence. What is the wisdom of God here on the screens? It is God's ability to know and the power to accomplish his eternal plan of displaying his glory. So God's wisdom is his, he he knows, but then he has the power to accomplish his eternal plan of displaying his glory. And so he has to have wisdom and power always go side by side. In the Bible I'll give you many examples. I'll give you one from Old, one from the New Testament. Daniel 2.20. It says, blessed be the name of God to whom belong wisdom and power. 1 Corinthians 1.24 says, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And so power and wisdom always go together. You have to have both. Just think about it. If God were wise, but he did not have the power to accomplish his plan, he'd be, again, wise, but no power. To accomplish it, he wouldn't be God anymore. He would know your problems, but he can not do anything about it. He's too weak to actually do anything about it. So he could sympathize with you, but he can't help you. He's not God anymore. But what if he were all-powerful, but he wasn't wise? So all the power, but lacked the wisdom to see the big picture. He couldn't accomplish his own plan. He would not be God. And so God is God because he is all-wise and all-powerful. Both. He has the wisdom, so he knows the plan that he devised, and he has the ability to accomplish it, which is displaying the glory of Jesus. And so the wisdom of God is the ability to know and the power to accomplish his eternal plan of displaying his glory. So this glorious wisdom is being displayed just for the entire universe to marvel at. It says to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And so angels, both fallen and holy, these like cosmic powers are in awe of the wisdom of God. Now, this is humbling, that God's infinite wisdom, he says, displayed through the church. The church? Really? Us? He's displaying his infinite wisdom and power through us. So this eternal God, who's infinitely glorious, is displaying that through the broken, oftentimes messed up lives of you and me. Maybe think, how is that possible? That's our second question. How does God display his wisdom? And we just read in verse 10, it says through the church, but how? How does God display his wisdom? Verses 7 through 9, we'll read it again. so the Apostle Paul here says that he, like, he lived to proclaim the gospel. And it says that he considered it a gift of God's grace, that he was empowered to preach the good news of Jesus to those that did not know him, those that were very far from God. And tasting the mercy of God is what led Paul to be a very humble man. And so if you struggle with pride, then you have not tasted the mercy of God. Because when you have tasted, when you feel the weight of your sin, and you know how much of a sinner you are, and how you do not deserve anything good from God, when we're aware of our own desperate need, and then we taste the mercy of God with Jesus dying on the cross to save us from our sins, when we taste that, it leads to this kind of thinking. Though I am the very least of all the saints. Humility. Paul had drunk very deeply from the well of God's mercy. And the more that we meditate on how God has shown us mercy and Jesus died in our place, the more we realize that we don't deserve his mercy, it leads to this. It says here that the glory of Jesus, says, is unsearchable. And so it's like trying to measure, it says, the unsearchable riches of Christ. So this measuring, he says, it's not measurable, it's unsearchable, there's no way. It would be kind of like if if there was a a very large lake and, and you wanted to measure it. So you're you're going around and you're trying to measure this lake. But then what happens is you realize that this lake is not actually a lake. It's actually the arm of the ocean. It's connected to the ocean. And you realize, oh, it's immeasurable. And so what you come to find out is that you can't begin to measure it. It's not possible. And that's what happens when we begin to see the mercy of God for us. And if you begin to even try to measure it, what happens is that you're confronted with the ocean of the glorious mercy of God. And it is immeasurable because we need his mercy that much. Because we have sinned against an eternal, holy God. And so we need so much mercy. Mercy. And verse nine says that God's plan from creation, so from as the Creator has always bring, it says to bring the light, so the light of Jesus for all nations. It says for everyone, and so God wants people from all nations to know Him. So God's plan from eternity past has been and continues to be to create a people from all nations that will love him, that will praise him, and that will truly enjoy him forever. This is what God is doing. So what is a believer, a true Christian, not a casual cultural Christian, but a true disciple of Jesus is someone that has come to the end of himself, come to the end of his own moral resources, realizing that I'm not good enough, and I am not okay, and I am desperate. A believer is someone who has realized that he's been giving his life to love and to obey idols and trying to find joy in them, only to realize that they don't satisfy. A believer is someone that has seen The truth of their condition, that because they have sinned against a God who is eternal, they now, we, deserve eternal separation from God to experience eternal judgments in a place called hell. And that we actually deserve it. That I, Matthew, deserve to burn in hell. I've earned it. The wages of sin is death. That's my wage. That's my salary. That's what I've earned. And I've earned that separation from God. This is God's holy judgment, deserved judgment. And so we deserve condemnation. This is God's holy wrath. And yet, a believer is also someone who fully is trusting in the sacrifice of Jesus On the cross, and we, with all of our hearts, are trusting that His sacrifice is sufficient and that our debt has been paid. And so, Jesus, who is infinite, could pay for our debt, which is infinite. He could pay for it in a few moments because He is eternal. Whereas, for you and me to pay for it would take eternity. But He's eternal. This is love. There is no greater display of love than Jesus enduring our guilt and our sin on the cross. And Jesus stands alone. He does not stand next to Muhammad. He does not stand next to the Buddha. He does not stand next to any other religious figure. The Bible does not stand next to any other quote unquote holy book. It stands alone. Jesus stands alone. He is fully God. He is fully human. He is worthy of our worship. He lived a perfect life. He kept God's holy requirements. He died for us, is resurrected, is alive, is our King, and we lived to see his name lifted up. And there is no other name under heaven by which anyone can be saved except by Jesus. Only Jesus. He's our only hope. Only Jesus. We cannot compromise. We must know and believe this and proclaim this, that he's the only way. Only he could be qualified as the perfect sacrifice, fully God, fully human, enduring our place on the cross, representing humanity. And verse 12 makes this so clear, and this is incredible. We have boldness. We can be bold with this eternal God, boldness, and we have access with confidence through our faith in him. We can have confidence that we are accepted and that we are secure and that we don't have to earn it because we can't earn it. We're not good enough. But Jesus did. And so we don't have to look at ourselves and look at all of our sins and our struggles and define ourselves by our sinful tendencies. Instead, we define ourselves by who we are in Christ. And we have confidence that we are accepted by God and that we're secure. And this gives us the boldness, the boldness to face our sin in its face and to say, I don't have to serve you anymore i have a new master this gives us confidence and boldness because of our faith our trust in jesus we now have access to god we can be near to him we can know him we can enjoy him and he can fill us and the idols that don't satisfy we don't even want him anymore And so when someone comes to faith in Jesus, for real, not just saying it, but with all their heart, they truly are trusting, they're casting their soul upon the mercy of God. When someone trusts in Jesus, they discover the beginning of freedom from their slavery to sin. The Holy Spirit of God comes in to live in that person and changes their hearts. They have a new nature with new desires where we now desire Jesus to rule over us. We want to submit to him. We know that we don't have the wisdom, and we trust that he does, and we want to obey. And we yearn for his glory to be shown through our lives, so we want more of his presence. This is only possible by the work of God. Because left to ourselves, we won't want it. We won't want Jesus. But this is what God is doing. And if you're here, and if you have never with all of your heart repented of your sins, and are trusting in Jesus alone to save you, then you're on your own. You will stand before God one day based upon your own goodness. And you're going to find that that won't get you very far. Is Jesus your only hope. For real. Or are you just playing games on a Friday morning? So let's, let's bring this down to a, a working definition. How does God display his wisdom? How does God do this? Again, here on the screens. How does he do this? Through the changed lives of His people that love and praise Him. And so when you see it says that the manifold wisdom of God is displayed through the church, what it's saying is changed people by the Spirit of God through the changed lives of His people that have hearts that love and that praise Him. This is supernatural. This is divine. Only God can do this. And so His glory is displayed. You see, only an all-wise God could ever think of a way where he could maintain his justice and his holy standard while also showing love and mercy to a sinful people that were just so far from him. He maintained his love and he maintained his holiness with Jesus on the cross. Only God could think of that. He's all-wise. Only an all-wise God could turn Hearts of stone into hearts of flesh that love and praise Him. And then bring them all together, this collection of redeemed sinners who love each other despite the fact that they hurt each other on occasion. That they're different, different preferences, different backgrounds, different accents, different tastes, different Everything in our church, and yet we have unity and we love one another. And we display the character of God through the power of his spirit. This is God's glory being displayed. Only God can accomplish this. So in his wisdom, God has chosen to reveal his glory and his very character through us. This should leave you stunned. This is designed to just overwhelm us and to just want to bow down and worship Him so much more profoundly. Last question, as we wrap things up. Number three, third question is: how must we respond to the wisdom of God? A lot to be said, I'm going to look at it quickly here. but so how do we respond to the wisdom of God? So keep it pretty practical, this these last point. So first of all, how do you respond to God's wisdom is you receive God's wisdom. See, God's wisdom comes from his word. If you don't read and meditate on his word, you won't have wisdom because he is the source of wisdom. So if you don't know God, you're not going to walk in wisdom. So you have to read his word. Do you have daily intake of truth in your life? If not, you're going to live foolishly. We need this. We need daily truth. We must receive his word. It says in James 1, we read it earlier in the gathering. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. So we must beg the Spirit for wisdom, and then he will give us wisdom if we truly have faith, and he will lead us, and he will guide us. Oftentimes, God's Spirit uses circumstances and also godly counsel, of course, we must be humbled to receive the wisdom from above. Second, how do we respond? We reflect God's wisdom. So we receive it, and then we reflect it. See, God is wise, so we must walk in wisdom. I'm going to give you a very practical definition of wisdom. I teach my kids. we We're working through the Proverbs this year, and so every morning we review, what is wisdom? Wisdom is knowing how to glorify God in all of life's decisions. That's wisdom. Wisdom is knowing how to glorify God in all of life's decisions. Are you a wise person? Or are you foolish? What does your life reflect? Is it reflecting wisdom from above or wisdom from below? God's wisdom or your own wisdom? We must reflect the wisdom of God. Lastly, the third response to God's wisdom is we must rest in God's wisdom. So we must receive it, reflect it, and then rest in the wisdom of God. Ephesians 3.13, we just read it, read it again here. So I ask you, he says, not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. See, God's wisdom gives us hope. We don't lose heart, even in suffering. Why? He mentions the glory of God. It's being revealed through us. So how do you respond when life is really hard? I mean, when it's painful. When you are disappointed. Like, I'm talking deep disappointment. When you feel like you're going to just despair. Or when you're just gripped by fear. How do you respond when you don't understand? what's going on and, and the circumstances are just so confusing to you and you don't know what God is doing you rest you rest in the wisdom of God if you don't rest in the wisdom of God and what's going to happen to you you're going to resort to self pity feeling sorry for yourself you're going to resort to this like victim mentality woe is me or many other negative ways of questioning God and his wisdom. And so trusting in God's wisdom, resting in his wisdom prevents us from having all kinds of negative responses. So if you're if you're going through something really hard today, disappointing, you have to know and believe that an all-wise God has allowed those circumstances to happen because they're happening. God could have intervened, he hasn't, he's allowing it. In his wisdom, he's allowing it. Why? In order to display his glory the most and to bless you the most. Did you hear me? He is allowing these horrible circumstances in your life so that he can display his glory the most and bless you the most. And you have to know and believe this, because if you don't, there's no other way that God can still be God. If you reject this, then you're saying God is not God. He's not sovereign. He's not wise. You have to believe that if there was any other way For God to accomplish his planned purposes in your life, he would do it. Because he is good and powerful and wise. So hear me. You have to hear me. If there was any other way for God to accomplish what he wants to accomplish in your life, he would do it. What you're going through is the only way. It's the only way. Because if there were another way, an all-wise God would have figured it out. And He is your father and he's good to you. He loves you. He does not hate you. And so if he's allowing it, it's because it's for maximum display of his glory and for maximum blessing for you. Stop trying to figure it out. Trust me on this one. Stop trying to figure out the wisdom of God. You don't see the big picture. He does. He always does. And so we entrust our souls to him. Stop asking, why God? There's nothing I can say or anyone else that's going to satisfy your desire to know why. God can't tell you why, because even if he tried, you wouldn't get it. It'd be too complicated how all the ripples touch each other. You, you couldn't come, you're not infinite. You won't be able to understand it. And even if he could, he won't, because He's God. And your job is to trust him, to know that he is good and wise and powerful. So stop asking why God and start resting in his wisdom. Maybe God is preparing you for something else in your life, something coming up that's going to be even harder. He's preparing you now for what's coming around the corner. He's being merciful to you by preparing you for it. Maybe he's exposing hidden idolatry or pride that you were blind to. Maybe he's exposing a hidden idol. Maybe he, I don't know, maybe there's an attitude that is toxic that he's trying to get you to see, or maybe quite simply, Jesus just wants you closer to him. He just wants you to know him in a way that you've not known him before. So he's allowing this to happen to break you of your sin so that you can have more of his holiness and more of his presence, which is the ultimate good. That is the blessing. So, whatever God is doing in your life you have to know this you are not alone he is with you he loves you and he's using these circumstances to reveal his glory and to be good to you keep looking to jesus that's what i can tell you keep looking to jesus keep looking to jesus And then yet again, keep looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Keep seeing him. Keep receiving his wisdom. Keep reflecting it back and then keep resting in his wisdom. And may we be a church that displays the manifold, multicolored, beautiful glory of God with wise lives that reflect his character for the glory of our risen king let's pray father you are overwhelming to us we are humbled we are in awe and we so need you and we admit that we are foolish that we don't know we don't understand we can't see the big picture but in our pain we are trusting you and we are looking to you And we are not feeling sorry for ourselves, but we are resting in your wisdom and in your power. Shape us to be a church that truly displays your glory, for that's what our hearts desire most, is just more of you. And we pray it for your sake, for our own blessing, in the name of our first love, Jesus.